Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Today we're going to cover heightened concentration with an emphasis on right effort. In weeks two and three, we covered right mindfulness and right meditation. And of course, as I said, you, you can't speak about right effort without touching on right view and right intention and, and of course, right mindfulness and right meditation. But uh, so often we, uh, in an effort to get through quite a bit of information and uh, topics, right effort tends to be the one that we kind of breeze through because we think of right effort as the part of the practice where you're just putting in effort. You know, you're, you're sitting once or twice a day, you're reading, you're coming to class, and that's part of right effort. But truly what right effort has to do with is what the Buddha lays out as what he sees as right effort. And what, why don't we talk about the aspect of your practice and, and what we all think of what right effort is. But right effort does involve making a commitment, a physical and mental commitment to this very difficult commitment. You're committing to really changing the way you live your life. And it's, it, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes creating space and time for yourself where in many situations because of work, family life, just, you know, the hindrances that you bump into make it difficult. Uh, we always talk about sitting twice a day and that, that is in fact what is recommended but it doesn't mean that you have to be a slave to a certain amount of time or, or space. I think Jen, you talked about how you committed to carving out a certain space mm -hmm. and a certain time. And there's value to that huge value because it creates that structure. It creates that, that building of this muscle memory. And, you know, what I came to understand that, you could become a slave to that space and that time. Yeah. So the flexibility of being able to go to Italy and carve out that little bit of time for yourself, or I know Mary will go to a hospital and find the little chapel and carve out a little time. Brian in an airport where you can comfortably sit despite, you know, people all around or, you know, catching that one minute, before you go into a car dealership. It's all important. It, it, it creates that 
that structure, but that flexibility where you'd love to be able to sit in that space where you feel comfortable and it's quiet, but you should be able to do this anywhere. And then the other parts of your practice, of course, are the study. The study part of it, I always think of it as it's the foundation of your ability to be in the Sangha and to participate and to understand and not be frustrated. But there's a tipping point to there where you can get so into learning and conquering. And I know Adam did that for years. And, you know, there, there's a curiosity to it all. You know, the origins and the, the words and the people. But you could become a student of it versus a practitioner of it. And that's at kind of like that mundane level of understanding. But truly the insight can only be experienced on your cushion through jhana meditation because that building of that concentration, this tool of concentration allows you to then create this mindfulness, this refined mindfulness, so then you can see the impermanence of all things. That you can't take ownership of it. And there is a dispassionate disconnect to these things that we so hold true to what we are, when in fact, it's just this reference point, these reference points. And that's all they are. And that can only be experienced through jhana meditation and then simply the refined mindfulness that's developed. Those are the tools. A couple of weeks ago, we went over the virtuous factors. To me, that, that's the window of your practice and your understanding of your practice, because that's where you see where you're clinging to something and your eye making is still evident when your speech isn't right. But as your mindfulness develops, you're aware of that. I forget who talked about it last week. I think it was you. Bridget had great examples of being in situations where things arose and she was aware of it and she was able to let it pass and not bite onto that situation where in the past it would have spun into some sort of you know anger and frustration and confrontation and that's really what mindfulness is all about it's to be able to see the arising and passing away that's right view so right effort <clears throat> There's a right effort, and maybe the better way to do it is to think of it as skillful, because people get caught up on the word right or wrong, and my effort is good, but the Buddha is talking very specific when he's speaking about right effort. I'm going to read a little bit from John's introduction. 
Hey, Al. Welcome. Oh, hi. How are you? I, I didn't realize that just my initial was there. So I didn't. I thought you said Al, but then I looked and I'm oh. like, yep, that's me, Al. <laughs> What's your name? Lou. Hey, Lou. I'm David. Nice to meet we're, you. We're about to get into uh, right effort. Okay. One of the concentration factors. And the Buddha described right effort engendering skillful desire and actions and diligence to avoiding inappropriate thoughts, words, deeds that have yet arisen. Abandon inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have arisen. Develop appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. And maintain appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds for continual development of non-confusion and skillful qualities that have, wrecked, that have yet arisen. So, Really, these four things are, in a mundane way, you can really put a good effort into pushing away the unskillful and holding on to the skillful. But again, once you integrate it into the entire Eightfold Path, that's really where what you're really deciding to do is abandoning unskillful qualities. And you understand why within the context of the Eightfold Path. And, that, and that's really the key from taking it from the mundane to truly understanding why something is unskillful or skillful. Right view emphasizes the importance of abandoning non-virtuous acts. Being mindful of right view brings understanding that is strong attachment to the ego personality that non-virtuous acts occur. As current non-virtuous acts behavior is abandoned, virtuous behavior can be developed further. Through mindful awareness of what is to be developed and what is to be abandoned, appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds are now foundation for continued right effort. So without right view, all the efforts in the world won't be able to be maintained. And I, this is within the context of our practice. There's many ways to put right effort in and to be a good person and to watch our thoughts, words, and deeds. But really what our practice is all about is understanding what is unskillful and what is causing stress and suffering and through the faithful path then you know truly abandoning it and understanding it skip ahead a little bit right effort will develop the qualities needed for liberation from stress and unhappiness engaging in dhamma practice should not lead to harsh judgment on past behavior and how how often is it that when we do put a little right effort into our lives that you immediately go back and start hammering away on what you've done incorrectly or harmfully in the past. I think each one of us can relate to that. And of course this practice tells you, don't look to the past, 
because you can't control that and you can't predict the future. And really what you're only being held account to is what's happening right here and right now. Bright up develops a mindful and skillful presence arising from developing wisdom. A mindful and dispassionate quality of mind is not aloof, disengagement from people and events in life. Dispassionate mindfulness is being fully present with what, whatever arises without discriminating thought, including clinging, avoidance, and aversion. The Eightfold Path is not a sequential training, beginning at right view and ending at right meditation. The foundation of understanding begins with right view and progresses through the next seven factors. As understanding develops, all eight factors of the path are integrated <clears throat> as a Dhamma practice. So for those of us that have been doing this, understand that this practice is like this ball of like evolving and changing parts of the practice. And it's not that you start from right view and work your way to the right. It's, it, it really truly is integrated in the sense that without developing your jhana meditation, there can't be any right view. There could be a, a the beginning of right view, but there can't be, you know, truly the final understanding of right view. The Buddha's words. The Buddha describes right effort systematically. Abandon what is unskillful, clinging, and develop what is skillful, the Eightfold Path. If it were not possible to abandon what is unskillful and develop what is skillful, I would not teach this. If it were harmful to abandon what is unskillful and develop what is skillful, I would not teach this. Apply your efforts to develop what is skillful. The Buddha never held anything back. There was no specialized or advanced teachings. These teachings were what he would present <clears throat> to the novice and to the awakened. And you know, that, that's the same with the right effort. This is all that he would teach at any time in his career. The focus of thoughts determine experience. Thoughts preoccupied with clinging, craving, and aversion will lead to more confusion and stress. Thoughts concentrated on mindfulness of the Dhamma will bring liberation and freedom. Distracted thoughts focused on fleeting desires, achievements, and acquisitions can only lead to more confusion and stress. Thoughts that establish and reinforce the ego personality can only lead to more confusion and stress for the ego personality. The mindfulness of the Dhamma is to develop an understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Understanding the Four Noble Truths bring an end to confusion and suffering arising from clinging to ego personality. I'll go through some of the mindfulness. Mindfulness is to recollect or hold in mind. So this is the tool that you can utilize 
when you sat and developed jhana. And this is what allows you to put in right effort based on what the Buddha is teaching. Be mindful to abandon wrong view and enter into remain in right view. Be mindful to abandon wrong intention and enter into right intention. Be mindful to abandon wrong speech and enter into right speech. Be mindful to abandon right wrong action and enter into right action. Be mindful to abandon wrong livelihood and enter into right livelihood. Be mindful to abandon wrong effort and enter into right effort. Be mindful to abandon wrong mindfulness and enter into right mindfulness. Be mindful to abandon wrong meditation and enter into right meditation. So it seems pretty clear, pretty simple, but I think what the Buddha is telling us is that based on his teachings, these aggregates that we cling to are to be abandoned. And there's there's a way in which this can sound very preachy. And I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago where the virtuous factors can seem a bit moralistic. But based on what the Buddha is teaching, clinging to wrong view, you'll have wrong speech. You'll have wrong action. Once you're in right view, you wouldn't have any other way to be except skillful in your actions and words. So it's not a moralistic practice it's just it's just telling you that it's just telling you that excuse me it's just telling you that you know for example right speech there wouldn't be any other way to speak unless you were in right view in right view there wouldn't be any other way to approach a conversation other than to be skillful. <clears throat> Meditation. I should have just given up the other agendas that you may have <clears throat> in approaching speech. Because it's all based on right view. And the right effort to, even before you start a conversation, mm. to be in right, right speech. Again, it's to abandon to abandon what even or not to avoid even what could come because mm-hmm. you see it coming. You not just see it coming, you but realize what you what your tendencies are, and you realize the situation and how you could react, and you don't because you're in right. Certainly, certainly, and and that's the same with with any encounter or just you know the internal speech that you have even goes goes away in that unskillful way and that's truly when you start seeing your practice really develop and and take hold when internally your your speech has changed 
the final factor of the Eightfold Path is right meditation. It is important here to remember that the purpose of the Eightfold Path is to understand unhappiness and stress and abandon clinging, craving, desire, and aversion. To that end, the Buddha taught a very simple but profound and effective meditation practice. Right meditation will quickly develop two conditions that are essential for achieving the understanding of stress, a cessation of stress. <clears throat> Through jhana meditation, serenity and tranquility and a quiet mind will develop. A quiet and non-reactive mind is our natural and awakened state. This is not an analytical type of insight, but a dispassionate mindfulness of true nature of stress, impermanence, and the ego personality. What we think, what is generated in our mind is what we will experience. This is why quieting the mind and gaining insight into thoughts and thought constructs is so effective in developing understanding and wisdom. Awareness in the confusing and permanent and the delusional nature of the conditioned mind is the insight gained in jhana meditation. Always preceded by a tranquil mind, we are able to be mindful of our conditioned thinking and put our conditioned thinking aside. Nothing else needs to be done or should be done with these fragments of conditioned thinking. Conditioned thinking causes wrong perception or wrong view, which causes unskillful action. This reaction creates further conditioned thinking. By using the insight gained by jhana meditation, we are able to recognize and let go of reaction and interrupt the cycle of discursive thinking. I don't want to go too much further with this. There's a lot more to go over. So uh, why don't we go around the room? I'll start with Adam since he always has to leave. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, David. Um, Talk about right effort. What I found profound was at the very beginning, um, the Buddha put as much emphasis on abandoning one side of the, you know, the, the wrong uh, factors and adopting the right ones. Um, so there's there's two things you're doing there. There's two, two sides of that, that effort. Um, that, uh, you have to be aware of what you have to undo as much as you have to be aware of what you need to adopt. Um, and that's the new way of thinking of When you think about uh, greed, aversion, and diluted thinking, <clears throat> it's that diluted thinking that you're clearing away with, with that right effort. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I always think of like, these defilements so easy to like to gravitate toward greed and aversion. The diluted thinking is really what's causing it all. Yeah. So, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. There's also the, the part that speak up because when, <clears throat> when uh, the Buddha says, "When I was an unawakened bodhisattva, I was trying to both at the same time." Right. Uh -huh. Here, which is an interesting thing, and, and which again is why he says the 
the effort is both in, in avoiding and abandoning uh, the wrong effort and developing and maintaining the right effort. <clears throat> so yeah, it, it is. It, it always goes both ways. In, in and it's that mindfulness that you're developing that gives you that pause, that moment, that mm -hmm. space yep. that allows it. And concentration comes right back in there, and it's all integrated. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. Are we going on this one? We going that one? Well, I know that you guys always have to leave. Yeah, well, I, I can't leave because you're. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're stuck. <laughs> I was just pushing things along a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Let's go around the room. Uh, Let's start with. <clears throat> Teacher Tom. Hey, Tom, where are you today? Hey, uh, I'm in uh, Bangkok. So I actually appreciate going first on this occasion because, yeah, I'm, it's getting quite late here. So I, 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 I must confess, I didn't really, um, uh, I didn't perhaps show quite enough right effort during the meditation. I ended up dozing off, <laughs> which doesn't normally happen for me, but it did today. Anyway. Um, so thanks a lot, um, for the teaching and for stepping in. Um, I think the thing that I really took was from your, what you shared at the beginning before you began reading, um, uh, reading from the chapter, um, and this idea of right effort and how it, it sort of, it's constantly there to challenge us to, reflect on how we need to apply right effort right you know right here and right now um, and that can kind of evolve over time so um if i compare my practice to a few years ago simply sitting every day once <laughs> even once a day was difficult um and then about a year ago i transitioned to consistently sitting twice a day and so that was some sort of progress i guess um, and nowadays I've noticed circling back to what you were sharing about uh, David, about using the meditations themselves on the website, I've actually done the same. And the problem, the reason, so for the first sort of couple of years of joining this Sangha, I would always listen to the guided meditations. And then after a while I've like, uh, I've got this, or, or I just need a bell and I'm good to go. And the reason why I didn't feel that the guided meditations were, were adding much value was because I wasn't properly listening to them. I was kind of going through autopilot and it was just this noise. There was this guy in the background that kept telling me to, you know, um, do this, that and the other. And I'd heard it so many times that I wasn't listening to it at all anymore. So that's why I wasn't noticing any value from it. So something that's really helped me over the last few weeks has been that I have got back into that groove of listening to the, to the guided meditation, but I've tried to properly listen to it and to, and occasionally I've even got, uh, you know, where a little bit at the beginning where he's, uh, John is introducing the meditation. A couple of times I even stop it after. And I'm like, wait, I wasn't really listening to that. I was already in autopilot. And so I've actually kind of punished myself by um, um, as gently as possible, but by going back and listening to it again, because I've realized that I'm still in autopilot. I'm not settled yet for meditation. So 
that's just how what right effort means to me right now mm. and um so anyway thanks for what you shared at the beginning sort of got me reflecting on that and um um yeah so that's that, that that's all i've got but thanks tom it, the reason why i went away years ago from it i was using it almost like a timer and I was having such difficulties sitting for even 20 minutes that those five minute things were like, okay, well, I got five more minutes. Five more minutes. Five more minutes. Yeah. Just, just got to get through five more minutes. So I forced myself to wean myself off of it and just sit for 20 or 30 minutes. And to your point, if you really listen, to the words as he's speaking them, he's really telling you what right effort is and right mindfulness <laughs> is. And it, I would just again suggest try, try to incorporate the the guided meditations as much as you can, uh, because listen to the words and you know then when you read the the teachings, it, that's when you start incorporating all of it together. It's, it's been, you know, helpful. And I've been, you know, sitting for quite a while and it, it's, it's, a, it's a big help. So thank you, Tom. Uh, let's go to Tom Hutton. How you doing? Oh, I can't hear you, Tom. We'll come back. Uh, Jeff, good morning. Morning, David. Uh, thanks for that teaching. I appreciate your your uh, your view on all that. Um, the the thoughts that were coming to me on right effort were that one could easily mistake it for. Uh, something that one, you have to put um, that you force by will or amount of effort. And I think in my practice, what I found is it's more a, a question of valuing it by a commitment of time. For one thing, that's, that's our most precious commodity. And that will tell you what you value the most is what you spend your time on. But also the process is one more of, for me, uh, especially in jhana meditation, is more relaxing into it as, a try, as, a, as opposed to trying to force it with effort or willpower. Mm -hmm. um, that you're actually counterproductive because that's your, that's your ego self trying to force the viewpoints onto things that you really should be recognizing as, as such and abandoning and relaxing into it as opposed to forcing it. Um, and that's not, at least I found it not that easy. I, the natural tendency I had was to, to um, look at this as 20 minutes where I'm going to get the most out of it I possibly can. So I'm going to work really hard at not, at, at relaxing. <laughs> Yeah, and, and of course that doesn't work as well. Um, 
Yeah. So it's, I, I think, and, and you mentioned, you, you mentioned something about it, the eightfold path, not being a moralistic or forced code. And there again, I think it's more, for me, it's been more a, a, a path of, a, of abandoning wrong views um, and a, abandoning unproductive and unskillful thinking uh, as opposed to forcing anything. Uh, that that might be my own personal experience, but I believe we live in a world where we're expected to have certain codes that we squeeze ourselves into or force other people to obey. And uh, I, I think I think following that path is completely counter to what the intent would be for developing. Um, that would be that wouldn't be right effort, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, we we meditate to develop this concentration so we can have insight to three marks. That's it. That's what we're we're trying to understand is these. So three marks of existence that, of course, you all would have seen last Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, that's right meditation. That's the right practice. Any other experiencing that we're, we're having during meditation should be observed. And what is that? Somebody needs to mute. Is that coming off of me talking? Mm -hmm. There we go. <clears throat> so again, this word right is so interesting because the Buddha just wants us to stay focused on how he's presenting this, this body of work that he's developed and to go too far astray from this path can only cause confusion and ultimately probably giving up because it's just not bearing this fruit that will come if you stay, you know, on the path and not try to tweak it too much to accommodate things that aren't quite working for you or, you know, doesn't fit into the, your normal cadence of life. And the more you stick with that in a pretty narrow view is, is really the way to, to approach your practice. So thank you, Jeff. Adam, how's your young practice going? Yeah, it's fairly, uh, I've been slacking a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm so can like, I ask you a question? Can yeah, I ask you a question? What's the biggest hindrance? The hindrance, well, the hindrances are these sense desires that arise, ill will. Yeah. Right? Are you simply too tired or unmotivated? Are you it's worried? It's not that I'm unmotivated or I'm never too tired. Um, but uh, I get, like, for the first time I did the other day, uh, the guided meditation. Oh, that's great. 
timer goes off, I'm like, damn, I was just getting into it. Or my mind was jumping or I hear like a clock tick and it was just distracting me, you know, and I'm trying to stay focused on it and it's just tough. And then I'm like, just like you, I'm like, oh my God, how much longer, you know, when is this going to be over with? I can't sit still. So it's just like, it's tough for me, but I'm trying. Yeah. That's just natural, Adam. It's, uh, it's like any, any activity that you take up, you know, stick with it, be gentle with yourself, you know, develop that structure, you know, even if it's a two minutes in the evening, just, you know, just to develop that, that time frame of this is what I'm doing in this, in this spot, in this evening. And I just, I just got to learn how to concentrate more, you know? So that's what the Buddha is all about. And, and instead of letting my mind control me, control my mind, you know? Well, it's, uh, unfortunately, you can't learn to concentrate more. You just have to develop, you know, slowly. <laughs> and it's, 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 a, it's a practice of patience, but it's a practice of perseverance. So... Thank you, Adam. Well, appreciate it. Sarah, how are you? Thank you for the teaching today. Very helpful. Uh, for, for me, I'm still working on routine, which has never really been a real strong point in my life. So the routine of uh, the right effort of actually establishing a routine for myself. I'll set up a place. I have a nice place to all set up for my meditation. And then it gets buried, like literally, because <laughs> I don't go in there. <laughs> um, and But I do know that by continuing in the practice of the studies and meeting with you folks, that it it affects my mind like seeds, I guess I would say, um, and kind of infiltrates. And I find myself thinking things like, well, that just really isn't worth doing anymore, or that's just really not a productive way of thinking, or that's just not really uh, um, um, going to bear any fruit in my life. And it actually almost comes to the point where I feel like um, I, there's really very little in life that isn't vain, if that makes sense. And then um, the fear is that I will just kind of like launch into this limbo of, of n n I, it sounds by way of this, these teachings proper, like the right thing to launch into this non-existence but the fear is that I'll launch into um, non uh, disengaged from life, and I've I've just just thought if if I continue to practice meditation, that some of that will iron out, and just to trust the process. And, and when you say the process, I see that as uh, this practice as presented by John and the other teachers 
And when I meditate, when I get off my cushion, I think about these hindrances that exist with all of us and what's standing in my way of peeling back that onion a little bit more and why don't I want to sit or why don't I want to not be worried about disappearing as a, as a person versus now I have this clarity to live my life in the most engaged way because I've replaced this diluted thinking with understanding. And, and I would say what you were describing was doubt that this practice will make you this a nihilistic uh, thinking that somehow you lose part of yourself, but really what you're doing is acknowledging that this anatta, this not self, doesn't mean that when you understand it, that you you aren't there anymore. You're just aware of the reality, which lets you totally engage in life. Good, uh-huh. bad, good, bad, ugly, <clears throat> and it, it's something that I've chosen to just jog toward because I know understanding won't get me in any sort of trouble. And I, I begin to see that the the space that is created in that is actually a space to engage in the present. So it's it's not like it's not consumed by the ideals or the the paradigms. It, it's a whole paradigm shift for me, but um, it's not it's not I guess yeah just all taken up by everything that I'm supposed to be doing. I've lived a life constantly driven by a sense of purpose that was based on a, a religious paradigm. And, and when I lost that, then I lost a sense of purpose. And as I engage in this teaching, um, it moves into this sense that, okay, well now, now there's really hardly much that's, I'm not, I'm not a savior. I'm not, um, what, so what do I do? (laughs) You know, like what's worth doing in life. And then, but if when I, as that space kind of clears, then I'm like, then I guess I, I real, I'm beginning to realize anyways, but not enough to, um, that it's really taken hold of me that I begin to realize that it, it makes space for intuition maybe to, to respond in the moment rather than be driven by these exactly you're you're a six property person and what you want to become is that six property person with right view it allows you to do anything you have to let go of what you're not before you yeah. can be who you are it, it exactly it, it lets you be anything you want you could be a corporate raider you could be a financer you can be a cook you could do whatever you want but you're in right view it it doesn't exclude anything it doesn't take anything off the table it just allows you to proceed through life 
understanding what reality is. And those questions that come up, it's like, who am I? What am I? What, what am I now? If I've let go of some things and this is what I've recognized that I've let go of, and this is how it's affected me by letting go of it. You know, what's going to happen to me if, what is it going to look like when that's all just more not self and I making mm-hmm. that will with practice fall away and mm-hmm. stop distracting you. Could you hear that, yeah. Sarah? Yeah, it's fairly easy for me to uh, abandon the um, the I-ness of that. It's the what do I do that's going to be really worth doing. It's the doing part that that trips me up. But I'll I, I, that's where I just have to just trust the process that if I just if I actually do um, succeed in in disciplining myself to uh, establish that routine of of meditation that these things will iron themselves out there's a there's a subtle craving in what you just said sure of of what what do i get for this and and what's the point of it if i don't get anything and and again as the practice develops you realize that and john says this the reward of life is the living of it there's there's nothing else to get the fact that that we're all here having this conversation is nothing short of a scientific miracle. For me, it's the giving. What am I giving? What am I doing? What am I? What I? What am I putting into that's worth doing? You know, I, it's hard to explain, but I mm-hmm. I don't want to take up um, time. Um, but those are my wrestlings. <laughs> well, please keep joining us and. You know, uh, are you meditating? Yeah. So, are you using John's uh, guided meditations? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. I, 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 I was wean. I mean, I was. Um, I've I've done that always. Good. 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 Well, thank you. Who else we have here? Lou, are you? Can you hear us? I can hear you. Good morning. Good morning. Have you joined us before? No, this is my first time. Do you have a meditation practice? I don't. I've, um, yeah, very basic. Uh, one time I, I did a little bit of a meditation. I went to a center. I had nothing to do with Buddhism. Maybe for like four months. And a lot of it was talking about different thoughts from different parts of your life, different time periods. And, and uh, the big focus was this disappearing sun. And so you would take a thought and it would go into the disappearing sun. And um, you would do that for, you know, half hour, 40 minutes, and it'd be different sessions and you'd talk. Um, but nothing, um, nothing Buddhist based or nothing, no other meditation, no mindfulness practice or anything. Oh, uh... I would encourage you to go on the website. Have you seen that? Yeah, uh, I've seen it. I haven't explored it. I, yeah, I've seen it. Explored. There's some guided meditations from five minutes to 45 minutes. Okay. Uh, There's an introduction. Yeah, you know, introduction. It's you know, it's a quite <clears throat> extensive. We meet each 
Tuesday evening at 7.15 on Saturdays at 8.30, obviously. Uh, yeah. yeah, we have emails for all teachers. John always makes himself available. Uh, the most important part of this is the Sangha, you know, the group that we are, uh, all different stages of where we are with our practices. John teaches a true version of what the Buddha taught, taking away the mystical and, you know, religious aspects of Buddhism. And uh, we have eight teachers at this point that pretty much teach rock solidly based on what John has restored from the original teachings. So, you know, go explore, reach out to any of us. And, uh, keep coming to class. Yeah, keep coming to class. <clears throat> Thank you. And you guys started at 8.30 till 10. Is that how that works? Uh, depending on who teaches. <laughs> I can't. 8.30, we usually yeah. start at 8.30, 8:30. and then it goes a little, goes to different times. 8.30 to question, to question. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep it pretty tight, but uh, but generally speaking, yeah, 10 o'clock is a probably a good, good uh, time frame. Okay. Yeah, but uh, welcome. Thank you. Brian, have I missed you? Yeah. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for uh, stepping in and pinch hitting today. Um, I, I use my right effort or my effort now as a, a mirror for my right view and my intention. And if my effort is, is waning, it's usually because I'm out of right view yeah. or my intention is faltering. Um, so you, you brought up the airport, right? Like just being in an airport in and of itself is a full visceral experience of stress and distraction. Um, and not wanting to sit in that environment is just aversion. And so I've I found that like it sucked at first, right? Like sitting out in public and meditating was just weird. Um, but like everything over time and, and practicing and continuing to do that, it got easier and easier and easier. And it's there's something about just not avoiding the distraction, just being with it. Mm enforces and enhances your effort reestablishes your view confirms your intention um and so as as you practice and as you continue those distractions you can just you can sit anywhere at this point and it doesn't matter and so it, it just again this whole thing is self-perpetuating if you've got the right view you've got the right intention your effort puts all of this into motion and those those three things are a feedback loop in inside of the the eightfold path itself um, that help drive the practice. So thank you, uh, and I apologize. I've got to drop here in a minute uh, gotcha. as well. Thank you so cool. much, Natasha. How are you? Hello. Hey, Natasha. Hello. Um, like uh, Adam, the first speaker. I I'm not in the US, I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. Welcome. Um, thank you. I've been listening to John for several years. Um, so Lou, the gentleman who was just speaking, um, I found uh, Cross River online and I really like John's teaching because as, as you mentioned, it strips away 
all of the cultural and all of the other things that have been added to what the Buddha taught. And so when I go to the, the Sangha that I belong to here in Stockholm, I can listen through their, their South Asian additions mm -hmm. to it and, and, and hear teaching more, more thoroughly. So I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the, 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 the cleanness of what John teaches, let's say. That's a perfect um, way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Clean. And, and, and Adam, um, yeah, I get you, man. <laughs> Listening to, finding time to sit down and, and, and meditate and then thinking, oh yeah, now I'm getting into it. And then the 20 minutes is up. I have a real, I, I struggle with listening to a guided meditation because at the temple that I attend, it's, they run through from the top of your head to your toes and everything relaxes and then they shut up for 20 minutes. And then there's a bell at the end. So anytime someone interrupts that, I just go, would you stop talking? Oh, I get so frustrated. And it's like, I have to start again. So I've been resisting listening to John's guided meditations. But um, like the other person said, yeah, it's because I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm on autopilot. It's like, yeah, I can do this good. I'm not, now I'm meditating. But to actually pay attention, like you said, and have the right effort and, and, and the right view and really listen to what, what that meditation is saying, then yeah, I will, I will give it a try again. Um, I was speaking to someone before I joined and she asked me, well, why do you meditate? And I said, well, if I do it regularly, a couple times a week, then it slows my brain down and I am able to catch myself before I say something that might not be the best thing to say. Um, and, and it's that, that slowing down leads to the right effort. And, and I like that. Um, as you said, they go hand in hand. They, ha they have to be together. You can't have one without the other. Thank you for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. It's a pleasure on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it, it, it's a interesting thing about, you know, I read really early on uh, about a young monk who was getting angry about someone next to him sniffling and coughing and disrupting his quietness. And, uh, you know, of course the senior monk said, well, that's your problem. <laughs> you know, you should, you know, deepen your concentration. And, you know, again, if someone can sit in an airport and, you know, get into a, a session, then uh, it just shows you where, you know, Brian's at. And again, it's, you know, there's not a competition here. Uh, the, the purpose is to deepen concentration so we can develop refined mindfulness. So as you said, when those moments come up, you can take it from this like kind of like gross level of restraint to simply not being uh, distracted by or affected by outside, you know, stimuli and. I, I know the story of a uh, teacher in that situation who answered, the disciple said, are you kidding me? I paid this guy to sit next to you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, just remember we're sitting for a purpose. We're not sitting to necessarily find relief at the end of a day or calmness those are things that we'll experience but we shouldn't cling to and you know we move on from that 
we're aware of it, it passes. And, you know, it's so we can deepen our concentration so we can move through the world more skillfully without harming anyone. So not, not a bad, uh, not, not a bad deal there. Uh, Mary Allen, how are you? Can you hear me? Can't hear you. You can barely hear her. Yeah, I can't hear you, Mary. I'm gonna try again. Why don't we? Why don't we go to uh, Tom? Okay, I'll try this again. Can you hear me? Yeah, way better. Okay, that's good. My laptop's finally put in the right effort because it died and the audio wasn't working. But uh, welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. So yeah, right effort. Uh, this is perfect for considering I've kind of dropped off from my practice and I haven't been coming to class. So yeah, we miss um, you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I missed the class and I missed the sangha. So um, it was a great teaching, and um, you know. It, you use the word skillful, skillful effort. And, you know, I, I like that because, you know, right effort is very kind of binary. It's black and white. It's, you know, skillful is really being able to, um, you know, when we're doing the guided meditations, I always use the guided meditations, but whether it's going to be John's voice in the background as noise versus me actually skillfully listening and applying what he's telling me to do is the difference. And the same thing when I'm reading and when I'm, you know, listening um, to the class is, am I able to skillfully take what I'm learning and applying it, you know, in my mind and in, in my everyday uh, life is that's the difference. You know, it's, uh, there's times when I read and I'm just looking at the words like they're, you know, I'm just looking at the words versus taking it in and understanding it. And so that's the difference uh, for me for right effort. And, you know, it waxes and wanes, you know, some days I, I can do it, some days I can't. And, now, I think the more I met it, you know, I've been, at, you know, uh, greater concentration levels, you know, in the past where I've been, you know, meditating more and it comes a little easier, you know, because you're able to concentrate. Right. But once I get away from it, it's kind of like, you know, I'm uh, floating away on a <laughs> floating away in the ocean somewhere and like trying to uh, grasp onto it again. And I, I can't. Um, so, you know, I just have to you know, continue keeping at it and, and again, you know, remembering to put in this, that skillful effort. So thank you for the uh, reading in the class. Thank you. I remember when you came back and uh, again, you can kind of see that wave of, you know, uh, what you were missing and, you know, how effective it was. And, you know, so I encourage you to come back. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the saga provides that feedback and support uh, and I often think that we all learn from not just seeing how someone's doing well but you know the difficulties people have and it's not a judgment it's just uh, being, being able to observe someone connecting these little dots and you know, being able to observe that person in the corner and, you know, taking away a little bit of that in applying it to ourselves and saying, you know, 
maybe I need to look a little deeper. And even though this isn't a contemplative practice, you do have to put that part of the work in, in, you know, seeing if you're truly being honest with your effort and applying it within our, our practice. So thank you, Tom. I think I've got everyone. <coughs> Rob, are you all set? You're good. Becky, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, David, for pinch hitting, as uh, Brian said. Um, right effort is something that does wax and wane, I believe, and also skill. The thing that, that um, you said, or that actually Adam said, is Abandoning what is unskillful and adopting what is skillful. Abandoning what is unskillful and adopting what is skillful is something that is an ongoing process in this practice. And every time you realize that you have done something that is skillful, in the moment that moves you more toward the level of concentration, you realize how important the level of concentration is to allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. And right effort is what gives you that concentration. And for me, um, like just coming back from three weeks in Italy, I was not, I did not have, I was not able to meditate as much, I, I hate to say as much as I would have liked, but what I am saying is that my effort with regard to the Sangha was with me throughout most of my, my time there. Mm. And if I did not have the skill to force myself to meditate in the airport, for example, I did do what I could. I was gentle with myself and I did what I could. And I found that Tom said a couple of weeks ago that reading the Sangha, or that listening to the Sangha, listening to what was happening here while I was gone and reading the suttas really was another skillful way mm -hmm. of keeping everything, um, you know, everything moving along and everything as much in my view as possible. But this, because of this practice, this was probably the best vacation I've ever had. I was so um, just immersed in what was happening around me um, I was much like, you know, when you're in a place where everything is unfamiliar, mm -hmm. you tend to be fearful. I was much, I was really not fearful. I was really just, it was just lovely to be there and to have this, that kind of state of mind while I was there. Now, I'm not saying everything's perfect, but the, the thing, when, when, they, when I did lose my mind, it was like 
a little bit of time could pass. I could revisit that moment and say to myself, oh, you lost your mind there. Mm. And if you hadn't lost your mind, probably this and this and this and this wouldn't happen, but it wouldn't have happened, but it's okay. Because it was quite a stressful situation. And now you can laugh about it because you knew you just lost your mind. And, you know, it was great. Great. It was great. And if I can just make one observation, yes, we've been in this saga for years, and I've seen you go on vacation, and when you came back, that you were almost cheerful about like how happy you were to be back. Oh, you know that, that <clears throat> yeah. disconnect. So for you to have developed, you know, to bring it with you to bring it with you because. I really it's, felt that I'm not bringing the saga with you. You're bringing this wisdom right, that you've developed, yeah. and that's you can. I mean, you can see and that I difference. I cry about that right now. Yeah. I really feel like I was able to bring it yeah. with me. And um, I wish I could just tell one little story. I know everybody's dying to go, but one of the times when I did lose my mind, returning the air the rental car to the airport in Rome. We had been driving for five hours, driving to Rome from where we were. It was a stressful day to begin with. We get to the final approach to the car rental place, which had taken us probably uh, a, a, a huge amount of time to find and stopping and asking, and it was just impossible. We get there, and we're not still not sure we're there, and we come to, we're like entering a parking garage, and we come to a gate where you have to do something to get the gate to rise. Now, everything is, of course, in Italian. So I've been doing this. I drove on the, the tollways, blah, blah, blah. I look at the box, and my husband, who is now in the same state of mind that I'm in, says, well, get the ticket. I'm like, there isn't a ticket. Well, push the button. <laughs> there isn't a button. There's no button. And so then he's like, well, we have to back up then. We can't get through. What can we do? And I'm with him. I'm right in that same mindset. I'm right with him. I'm going, oh, my God, you're right. Well, there's cars behind us. We can't back up. And he's like, well, you don't seem to be able to figure out what to do. I'm like, I can't do it. So he hands me the credit card. He says, tap the credit card. Maybe yeah. that'll go. So I did nothing. So finally, I see this button that says, like, help. I don't know if it says help, but it's assistant. I push that. Some guy comes on speaking in Italian. I say, do you speak English? Yes. I say, we're at the gate. We don't know how to get in. He says, madam, push the button and take a ticket. And I go, there is no button. The button is right at the bottom of the distance. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and so I push the button and take a ticket. But what, what was amazing about that is thinking about it afterwards is if you had just like gone like this. A lot of fabrication going on there. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, they are doing this to me on purpose because they do not want me to get in here. It is, you know, why can't they put it in English? And all you had to do was just sit back and breathe. And at that moment where the, the rubber was hitting the road, you would have realized there is a spot for a ticket to come out, which I did look at and I knew what it was. 
So there must be a way to get the ticket out. They wouldn't make it impossible. It was amazing. It was amazing to just recuperate from that and then realize what I had done. But uh, anyway, I'll be quiet now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Jennifer. Hi. Um, what I, I'll try to make it quick because I know Ron's going to go. Um, right, the part where the Buddha says, um, abandon, no. Avoid unskillful thoughts that have yet arisen. And abandon uh, unskillful thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen and abandon unskillful thoughts, words, and deeds that have arisen. So for me, waiting thoughts that have arisen that are unskillful mentally, kind of like holding them down, being averse to them is something I'm really good at. So I've sort of learned that with this practice, this subtle tea there that the Buddha is pointing out, if unskillful thoughts have arisen, I have to be present with that mm. and allow them to arise and pass away. So if I'm subtly, mentally avoiding those thoughts and averse to those thoughts, then I'm, then I'm not letting them go. So there was, so there's like this irony there mm -hmm. where I have to like, I have to look at, the, I have to like be with the thought. I have to allow it, look at it, not like immerse in it, but like recognize it as an unskillful thought. Look at it with my mindfulness, with my gentleness and allow that unskillful thought to kind of arise and pass away without attaching to it. And the irony to me is that in avoiding the thought mentally, I'm, I'm also clinging to it mm. and, and holding mm -hmm. on to it in like a weird way. Like I'm holding on to it and also like keeping it, trying to keep it away. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense to anyone, but like, yeah, that's what I, <clears throat> I think that's got out of today's teaching. And it just goes back to your, your teaching on, when you taught mindfulness. It's about just being aware. Yeah. yeah Present. Yeah. With what's happening internally yeah. rather than being averse to it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bridget. Bridget. Our friend Bridget. So I'll also try to keep it brief, but I was, uh, <clears throat> I really related to what Sarah was saying when I was first introduced to uh, the concept of Buddhism, not through the Sangha. Um, I kind of mentally examined it. I looked at it and I said, well, that sounds terrifying. I'll just float away into the ether. And how will I be? What will my orientation be? How would I be a mother? How would I be in the world? And I didn't like it. It terrified me. Um, but that encounter had, had given me a glimpse of the kind of space that you can experience in this type of practice. And I liked it. 
So that was kind of, you know, what kept me coming back to John, um, because my mom was saying, well, there's this alternative (laughs) where you can get that space without all the mysticism and it's not, you're not going to float away into the ether. You, that's not what liberation looks like. And when I think about that, um, it's really pertinent to my recent experience with right effort where I was going through this week and I had two big decisions to make, job and car. And those are huge. Mm. And instead of worrying, which I like to call problem solving or planning, but it's Mm. really just useless worrying. (laughs) I very intentionally said, well, until you have an offer, there's no point in going over it. Until you you know you have to make a choice about a car, you can wish that your car wasn't dying. There's nothing you can do about it. Just with the right effort, choosing to accept things exactly as they were, not wishing them to be different, saying to myself, you can't make a decision until something actually happens. So stop doing that. Come back to the present moment. <clears throat> Take a breath, reunite your mind, your mind and your body, and just, just be, <laughs> just be in this moment. And I felt like that was my right effort. That, that I just, mm-hmm. I chose to meditate instead of worry. I chose to say, okay, you're about to go there, and that encounter is going to lead to you making the next decision. You can drive there and bite your fingernails, or you can drive over there, park up the road. And even if it's one minute, just take one minute Mm -hmm. to meditate and then go into the encounter. You'll get a better outcome, not really the purpose, but that will be a benefit. And you don't have to lose your mind over it. You can just choose to basically live your life differently than you did in the past because you've already seen that when you do it this way, you stay present, you just better you just not crazy you don't have to make your decisions while drowning in like stress hormones in Mm -hmm. your brain and attaching all these i'm making things of well if i take that job versus that job who will i be how will that look what will that mean for me for for i this person i'm trying to become and to just make a decision based off of just but real factors, not all that imagined I made. Um, and I was able to do that because I chose to use concentration. Um, so that was, that was my That's right view. Yeah. And if I didn't have the right view, I couldn't have made those right efforts to say, stop mm-hmm. your mind, reunite your body and your, your breath and your mind and just look at what's actually occurring, not what you're imagining. It's real life application of a practice. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We will end as we always do. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for the folks that I first just met. Uh, We'll finish this class, like we finish every class, like Karen in a Meta Sutta. So please find your meditation space. This is what should be done.
by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise another being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. Please join us again. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, David. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, Lou. Bye, Tom. Bye-bye. Bye, Lou. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.